when I think about creatures that are bad at hiding their feelings, I always think of dogs. Um, because when you walk, I have some awesome pictures, which hopefully you'll be able to see. Because when, when a dog has done something wrong, like there's no hiding it. There's not like you're going to walk in the room and the, something happened and you're just going to be like, wait, who did that? And the dog's you know, perfectly innocent. Like You know the look dogs give. Here it is, chewed up remote. You know, the eyes looking up thing, like, please, <laughs> please don't, or this guy. They just can't, they can't hide their emotions. They're just, uh, wear it on their sleeves. There's no hiding it. And so you got the, the big eyes, the looking up at you, the, you know, slightly, like, hunched over, tucked tail. They're kind of saying, like, I'm sorry, please don't hate me. Pet me, I really need your love. I'm feeling insecure right now. You know, that's what dogs are saying when they do something wrong. And when we do something wrong, usually we have similar feelings. We have the same feelings that a dog is expressing, but we don't necessarily put it out on our sleeve. And there's two primary feelings we experience when we uh, have guilt and shame. Or, I'm sorry, the two primary feelings we experience are guilt and shame when we've done something wrong. And there's a bunch of other feelings and actions that grow out of those two uh, primary feelings, but those are at the bottom, the, the primary ones. When I, I, when I know I've done something wrong, or someone has told me that, I've done something wrong, uh, I might feel guilty. And guilt feels, well, I feel bad about it. Or I, I, I want to clean this up. I want to make this better. I want to make this right. Or like, there might be like kind of this weight. Um, you may like, oh, you feel weight on your chest. And then once it's over, it's like, oh, I've got to get that weight off my chest. Like guilt kind of feels like this, this heaviness. And we want to fix what we did wrong. And if I, for me, when I hurt someone, I, I really want to talk to them. Um, and like, let's, let's figure this out and make this right. I want to apologize. But sometimes my motivation isn't actually um, like, okay, I want to tell you what I've done wrong, and I want you know to come and express f- to you that I-, I did this and I really want to fix this. Sometimes my motivation is more out of fear rather than love, um, because I'm afraid, like, well, what do they think of me right now? I did this thing wrong. What are they thinking of me? I don't want them to think bad things of me. I want them to think good things of me. Or what are they telling other people? I did this wrong thing, and they know I did it, and now are they telling other people, like, oh, I missed you this thing, and it really hurt? And now those people are thinking bad things of me. So sometimes I'm doing it out of fear. And if I've wronged someone and bump into them and I haven't talked about it yet, I might feel like avoiding them. Or I bump into them, it might be kind of awkward, or might not, you know, kind of the conversation might be weird, I might not really look at them in the eye. And that's what guilt looks like and feels like. But, but shame is a different feeling. When we feel guilty, we want to clean up the mess that we've made. We might feel bad for what we did and feel this heaviness on us. But when we feel shame, we feel like we are the mess. The thing that needs to be fixed is us, not the the mess that we've made. And the thing that needs to be cleaned up isn't outside of us. It is us. And when I feel ashamed, I just want to run and hide it and never be seen by those people again. I'm ashamed. I want to hide from them. And guilt says, I've done bad. I've made a mess. I need to clean it up. And shame says, I am bad, I am a mess, I need to be cleaned up. And I'm sure you can relate to some of what I've shared, um, and we're not going to share, uh, share anything out loud, but if you have a bulletin, or, or, or you can grab one if you want, or if you have a piece of paper, I just want you to write, take a moment to write down how you respond, or what guilt, and when, when you've done something wrong, or somebody uh, has told you you've done something wrong, and I wrote down some of the words um, that I used here, and so... Uh, Phil, here's the, the thing I want you to do. Fill in the blank um, like this. When I've done wrong, I feel blank. And use one of these words or multiple of these words or just, you know, or just put it in your mind. When you've done wrong, when I've done something wrong, I feel blank.
put this on here. So if you still want to keep seeing it, thinking about it, you can. This week, we're in our third message uh, in a four-week series called For Us, um, Enjoying God's Forgiveness Through Jesus. And we just got done celebrating Easter and Jesus' death. And Jesus said, the big thing that my death is accomplishing is your forgiveness. Um, forgiveness always comes at a cost, and Jesus paid the cost of our forgiveness. Um, so we're spending four weeks really digging into how do we enjoy God's forgiveness. And the one, if there's one thing I want you to remember, I said this last week, and you know, if you're a guest here for the dedication, you remember this. God is for you, not against you. Even people who haven't trusted in Jesus, God is still for you. Even if, that's, if you're still like, I'm still trying to figure this out, God is still for you because this beautiful creation is a place he lets us live, even though we've said, you know what, God, I want to do things my own way. Uh, but then God is even more for those who trust in Jesus because he says, I wipe you clean of your sins. I cleanse you from all of them. Um, I've forgiven you, and you're going to spend uh, an eternity with me in my presence. So if God is for you and not against you, and there's plenty of reasons that God should be against us, but because of Jesus, God is for us. And that means, that's what it means to enjoy God's forgiveness through Jesus. God, you are for me now. There's nothing that you hold against me. In our first message, we talked about how it's necessary to confess our sin to God in order to be forgiven and have a relationship with him. If we try to hide it or deny it, um, it kills fellowship with God. In our second message, we talked about how God treats us when we come to him for forgiveness. Because it's like, okay, that's nice. Um, he'll forgive me. But when I come to get forgiveness, you know, he's, maybe he's kind of mean or he kind of reprimands me or really rubs my nose in it. But we talked about how God, uh, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness, Jesus is always tender, merciful, and gracious towards sinners seeking help. Sinners seeking help when they need forgiveness. Sinners seeking help when they need strength to avoid temptation. And this week, the goal is to learn, to really dig into how do we seek forgiveness from God. Good apologies, perhaps you've experienced good apologies, um, but I've found that good apologies can be hard to come by. We We struggle just to even make the step of apologizing, and sometimes, oftentimes when we do apologize, it's not a very good apology. And so, in order to seek God's forgiveness, we need to learn how to apologize to God, and that's what Psalm 51 is helping us with. And so the big idea for today is, if you like to take notes, or like to know things right up front. Uh, this is the big idea for today that we get from this song. God washes humble sinners white as snow, outside and inside. God washes humble sinners white as snow, outside and inside. And we'll hit each of those parts as we go through this song. And perhaps you're wondering, well, what is sin? I, you know, this is kind of like a churchy word. You know, even those of us who go to church all the time, it's like sin. Like I hear it all the time, but I wouldn't really know how to define it if somebody you know, asked me or my kid asked me or something like that. But sin um, is doing things our way instead of God's way. Doing things our way instead of God's way. Sin is doing things our way instead of God's way. Or you could say sin is doing what God says is bad and failing to do what God says is good. Doing what God says is bad and failing to do what God says is good. And we can sin in thought, in word, in deed, by what we've done and by what we've left undone. And Psalm 51 tells us how to be humble sinners seeking forgiveness. We said last week there's only two types of people in the world, forgiven sinners and unforgiven sinners. And we're trying to learn in this series, like, this is what Jesus did so we could be forgiven sinners. And so uh, for us to understand this psalm, we first need to understand the inscription that was right at the beginning um, you saw it, uh, Larry read it right away. It's right before verse 1. Psalm 51 says, To the choir master, 
a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And this little title or inscription wasn't added you know, in English translations. This is in the Hebrew. This is something that was added in ancient times of this is the situation that gave inspiration to the psalm um, that was sung by you know, people coming together like this. So thousands and thousands of year, years ago, David lived um, uh, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 BC. And so like, this is a really ancient song we're looking at. It's a very poetic, ancient song. And so who is David? Um, he wrote this. We're told he wrote it for the choir master. Uh, well, in the history of the nation of Israel, David is the most fo- famous king they ever had. He's the second king they had. The first one was Saul, and that didn't go so well. And David is the first, and he's the most famous they've ever had. And after King David, everyone hoped, oh, man, we need another king like that. We need another king like David. That was the guy who really set the standard. He really set the bar high. And God described David, as I said earlier, and as Nick prayed, as a man after his own heart. God said, you know what David's like? He's a man after my own heart. In other words, David loved God deeply and desired <coughs> to do um, what God wanted them to do. Their hearts were in sync. They're like beating together. But at some point in David's life, he messed up big time. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with the story. He slept with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his most trusted warriors, whose name was Uriah, and he got her pregnant. And then he tried to cover it up by getting Uriah to go and sleep with her. Like, hey, Uriah, come home from battle. You, you, why don't you go spend the night with your wife? And, and it'll be okay. And he's hoping, like, okay, he'll go spend a night with his wife. And then she's, you know, three, four months later, she starts showing, oh, I must have happened, you know, so-and-so when I, back a couple months ago when I was home, you know, on, on leave from, from the battle. And when that failed, um, David... Uriah wouldn't do it. He was such a loyal soldier. He's like, no, I'm going to stay with the rest of the men. Like, why should I have a comfortable night at my house with my wife when all these guys, you know, are sleeping in the dirt and stuff? So when that failed, David plotted to have Uriah killed um, by telling his general, hey, send Uriah to the front lines. Um, And so his general sends Uriah to the front lines, and Uriah dies. Uh, And then David took Bathsheba as his wife. And this is where Nathan the prophet comes in, because David, he's kind of like, not even realizing I've done this horrible thing. He's just going on with his life. Sweet. I took care of that situation, and I've got this uh, a new wife who's, who's pregnant. This is great. And a prophet, Nathan's a prophet, and a prophet is a spokesman for God, and he comes to confront David about his sin. And how would David respond? I mean, he's the king. He could just be like, who are you? Like, send him. Maybe he'll cover hit that up, too. Let's, I'm going to send you out and have you executed in secret. Or he could just ignore him, like, you know, get out of here. Just toss him out. Um, but upon waking up to what he's done, David said, I've sinned against the Lord. That was his one response right away. <coughs> and David's record is pretty bad. And I'm pretty betting that none of you have a record like David's, every single item on here. Adultery with a trusted friend's wife. Cover-up. Plotting someone's death. Murder. And you know, when we look at David's life, we can all see ourselves in David. We can all see, like, you know... Maybe I'm not exactly like David, but man, I've had times when I've really messed up. I've had times when I've really failed. I've really failed to love the people around me. I've really um, had done hurtful things and then tried to cover it up and ignored it. And maybe there's things now you've like, man, I just swept that under the rug and I hoped it would go away. And there's somebody in your life um, that you have you know, deep resentment towards and bitterness and difficulty. And you're just like, you know, I just want that to go away. You just want it to be covered up. And it is... I think a question we can ask ourselves is, is David the kind of person that God could love? 
Is David the kind of person that God could delight in? Is he the kind of person God could use for great things? Is he the kind of person that God could ever welcome openly into his presence with full acceptance? Is David able to be forgiven? Or has he done too much wrong? (coughs) And if you're like David, the more personal questions are, can I be forgiven? Can God love me if I've done so much wrong? Can God delight me? Can God welcome me into his presence with open arms and full acceptance and be happy I'm there? Can God use me for his purposes in the world? Perhaps you're asking those questions. I know I asked them. I said, man, God, I just fail so much. And I fail to do what you've asked so much. And I'm just kind of messing this whole thing up. And God called David, a man after his own heart, knowing that this episode with Bathsheba would happen, knowing this thing with Uriah would happen. This story shows us that David, he's a man after God's own heart, but he's sinned. This guy is not perfect. He doesn't have a perfect record. And this psalm shows us how to be a man or woman after God's own heart, even when we sin and fail. And so coming back to our big idea we're going to be going through, God washes humble sinners, white as snow, outside and inside. And so look at verses 1 to 2, and these give us the theme of what this whole psalm is trying to cover. Verses 1 to 2 in Psalm 51 say this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And these two verses uh, are showing us this is what David, this is like the whole theme of the psalm. There's, he's, I want mercy. That's what I'm needing, God. And it's not based on me, like, God, I deserve this. Or like, God, this is your job to give me mercy. This is your job to give me forgiveness. Or he doesn't come to him entitled saying, uh, this is just something you need to give to me, demanding. He's like, have mercy on me, not according to me deserving it, but according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. And steadfast love, the word steadfast, you know, something that's steadfast, it's not moving. It's like this rock. It's this anchor. And God's love is steadfast. It's not going anywhere. And we can think um, like God's love is about as you know, fickle and changing as ours, but God's love is steadfast. Um, even when ours towards him is not steadfast. And the other word he uses is uh, abundant mercy, which mercy means uh, not getting what we deserve. Uh, And abundant mercy is tied um, actually to this motherly compassion and tenderness for her children. He's like, God, I need this deep compassion from you. God, please, according to your compassion, your tenderness, according to your steadfast, immovable, unchanging love, would you show mercy to me? And he asks his request is uh, he gives three action words is, that define what having mercy on him is. So the end of verse 1 says, Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Blot out, wash me, cleanse me. And so David, he's feeling dirty. He's feeling like, I've done this thing, and I've got literally, I mean, I guess he, <coughs> he doesn't actually have Uriah's blood on his hands. He's like, I've got blood on my hands. I've got guilt. I've got shame. I need you, God. I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me. And he uses three words that are used for uh, rebellion or disobeying God in the Old Testament. He uses, end of verse 1, transgressions. Verse 2, iniquity. And then sin. And all these have different shades of meaning and different levels of seriousness. Transgression is typically like, uh, you know, if if you tell a kid, um, don't do that, and then they just turn and do it. That's like It's just outright, you knew exactly what not to do, and you did it anyway. And that's transgression. Like, God, I'm just, don't even care. I'm just going to go do it. And iniquity is kind of like, 
um, waywardness and like crookedness. Like our lives don't aren't, aren't like straight. They're not shooting straight, and they're kind of crooked, and they're they're bent, and they're not um, they're not the way they're supposed to be. And then sin, we gave a definition earlier, but one that the uh, is used in scripture is um, not explicitly is missing the mark. It's missing the mark on what God um, has told us to do. And none of these, David is praying, for, wash me, cleanse me, blot me out. And using all three of them shows, you know, okay, God, I've committed this, you know, an iniquity or a sin or a transgression. Like, and that's the only thing that be, can be forgiven. He's like, the whole range of it, I've done it all. And he's asking, wash me of all of it. And it shows us that nothing is beyond God's forgiveness. Nothing is beyond God's washing and cleansing. He wants God to clean him up. And verses 3 through 6 tell us why he needs cleansing. Look at those verses. They say, he says, For I know my transgressions. There's that word again, transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And through Nathan, coming to him. He's been brought face to face with this thing that he's done. And he's saying, God, it's, I, I see it. It's clear, and I need to do something about it. He wants to deal with it. And he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And that might sound a bit odd because you're like, well, didn't he sin against Bathsheba, you know, the king, this place of power, summoning this girl, woman to, you know, what's she supposed to say? No to the king. Like, he uses power for his own advantage to summon somebody else's wife to his house. Um, and then he tries to cover everything up. He gets Uriah killed. Like, he's sinned against some other people here. How can he say, against you only, God, have I sinned? He certainly sinned against them. But David is recognizing that our sin against other people, our wrongs against other people, are first and foremost a sin against God because he's the one that commanded us in the first place not to do it. You know, when a child um, hurt, you, hits their brother or sister or someone at school and you said, I want you to be kind to them, like, well, they've wronged you, too. They've not only wronged that person that they hit or were unkind to, they've wronged the parent because the parent was the first one to say, hey, don't do this. When we don't love others, we're disobeying God. So no matter how hurt or mad or upset other people get at what you've done, God is always the most offended party and the most important person we need to deal with. And David stands before God as a righteous judge who doesn't sweep sin under the rug. He doesn't say, like, you know, I'll let you off the hook this time. Um, you know, we, we can just ignore that. You know, you, you've done enough good things in your life. But we want a God who deals with wrongdoing. Because you know, people, kings, judges who don't deal with wrongdoing, we call them crooked. If you can be paid off and bribed, um, that's a bad judge. That's a bad ruler. That's a bad president or whoever, what kind of leader it is. And as David stands before God, he recognizes, you know, this wasn't just like a one-off thing for me. Like, you know, God, I, I'm just, you know, my whole life I've been perfect. And like, this is just a one-off mistake. Like, God, please, can you just let it go? Uh, I, I'm so sorry I did it that one time. I won't do it again. And he, but he says uh, what he's saying in verse 5. He's recognizing that this action sprung from inside of him. He's not saying, you know, he said he was uh, conceived in, in iniquity or conceived in sin. Um, he's not saying, like, his mom, you know, was, was doing something that she shouldn't have been. He's saying, like, no, from my birth to this moment, um, this is something that's part of me. This sprung up from inside of me. This action I took, he's realizing nobody put this in my head. Nobody forced me to do this. This just came from inside of me. It's, it's part of who I am. And in verse 6, he recognizes that God desires 
deep interchange. And then he's going to pray for heart-level renovation, not just cleansing from other actions. Because he says, circumstances and people are not to blame. I'm to blame. This came from inside of me. And so we turn to verses 7 through 12, where he makes his request for cleansing. Verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop, which is like a little uh, branch, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And I think something that struck me as I was reading this psalm was how David's, how he gets the joy so quickly. Like he, his emotions just change. He's like, God, I... I'm really bad. I've really messed up here. I really need you. And then quickly he's saying, like, I want to rejoice. You know, let wash me and cleanse me so I can rejoice in the fact that you've done this for me. You know, that so quickly he's like, I can rejoice in the fact that um, I've been washed white as snow. I've been made white as snow, outside and <coughs> inside. And he doesn't have to be like, okay, God, I came to you for forgiveness. And now I know in a month I can be happy that we're good again. Or after I, you know, if I have a month streak, you know, like maybe we're counting days. Like I've been bad, um, and now I need thirty a thirty day streak before God is happy with me again, and I can be rejoice in front of Him and feel accepted. He's like, no, right there in that moment, He's like, God, you washed me, and I can be, I can be joyful. And he wants to be white as snow inside and out because He's saying, purge me, cleanse me, cleanse me. And then in verse ten He says, verse ten He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And restored relationship with God doesn't stop at forgiveness. Because God is in the business of life transformation. It's not God's job to forgive us. That's, you know, it's not just like, hey, our job is to be down here, do the best we can, kind of try to figure things out. And God's job is like, oh, we come to him and get forgiveness and then we go back. No, God desires whole life transformation, whole life change. Relationship with God is a transformation of everything. God wants more for us to only come than to only come to Him when we've done something wrong, because that's not much of a relationship. If you only talk to somebody and when we've done something wrong, He wants to have a relationship with us, an everyday relationship. He wants to teach us to live differently. When we trust in Jesus, we're already white as snow before God, but our heart and actions are not yet white as snow. Our heart and there's this instant thing that happens, like, God, forgive me, and there's, like, instant white as snow. But then there's something that takes a process and takes time. It's for our heart, which is, like, the center of our being. It's what, uh, what, what, our, what uh, brings action to our life. It's, like, that thing that's generating our actions, our thoughts, our desires, that thing needs to be changed, and that takes time. It's a process. And so you can think of it as, like, we're free instantly from the penalty of our sin. God doesn't hold us against us. He doesn't. Um, cast us away from his presence as David called here. He's recognizing this is what I deserve. I deserve to be cast away for you to just reject me. And he's saying that God I know that's what I deserve but please don't do it. Have mercy on me. Give me what I don't deserve. And then we're free from the penalty of sin but also free from the power of sin. The power of sin pulls us away from God and it hardens us. It pulls us to do what God (laughs) has said is bad and to avoid doing what God has said is good. And David's like I want to be free from both of them. I want 
the, be free from the penalty, wash me white as snow. I want to be free from the power, make my life how I live white as snow. And if you had a, think about your computer or your phone, and you had a virus on it, and the virus, I don't know if there's a virus that does this, probably is, we should ask, we'll ask Shane later, um, but there's probably a virus that just keeps putting, imagine a virus that keeps putting files on your desktop or on your home screen or your phone, and you're like, I don't like these files on my desktop, and all you do is you keep like clicking on them and right-clicking and like deleting, you know, move the trash, or you're like dragging them into the trash, but they just keep popping up, and you're just going to be there all day trying to put those things in the trash bin unless you go and deal with the heart of the issue, which is that you have a virus on your computer that's producing these things. And sometimes getting rid of viruses can, can take time. The operating system has been infected and now that has to be taken out and needs to be uh, cleansed. I guess I haven't removed a virus in a while, but I remember you, know, you put in your Norton antivirus and then you get your little loader bar and it's like, we found 5,000 Trojans. I don't know, that was like the thing, like Trojan virus is like, no, I have a Trojan virus found on my computer and you, know, you like work through it and cleanse your whole thing. But when your operating system needs to be cleaned out of a virus, it takes time. And so God, he's slowly out of our operating system, taking out the thing that's producing um, sin in us and iniquity and transgression. He's changing our desires so we have this new virus-free operating system in us. And for some of us, you know, we've been in church our whole lives or for a while or been in this church for a while, you might be like, okay, forgiveness. I know about forgiveness. What, what, this is like the basics. Why are we talking about this? But I think it's interesting what David says in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And it's like, it's like he almost forgot how good God is. He almost forgot how gracious and how merciful and how abundant in mercy is and how steadfast his love is. And we, some of us, we might lose the joy of our salvation, the joy of the fact that God freely forgives us, that God washes humble sinners white as snow outside and inside, and we can be like, yeah, 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 I know that. It's like, no, God, restore to us the joy of this fact that you make us white as snow when we should be you know, dirty as, as anything in the world can be dirty. And then in verses 13 through 17, we hear the result of all this happening in his life. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. And so David, he's looking uh, and seeing, like, when I, once I've experienced this salvation, once I've experienced this joy, it's time to worship. It's time to open my mouth and praise God and we come together on Sundays and we want to pray and thank God for what he's done. But he also says, me knowing your forgiveness allows me to go and teach transgressors, sinners, people who commit iniquity in your ways. It allows me to go and teach other people how to be forgiven. And Jesus was quite clear. Someone who's truly received forgiveness from God will be transformed. It's a, a liberating experience to be released from our old selfish impulses setting us free to forgive as we've been forgiven, to love as we've been loved, to have mercy as we've been shown mercy. Receiving God's mercy makes us merciful people. Receiving God's forgiveness makes us forgiving people. And we become people who worship and love God because we've experienced his goodness and we become people who lead others to experience it as well. 
And David mentions the sacrifices. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice in verse 16, or I give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. You know, none of you brought an animal here today to sacrifice. Well, I don't think so anyway. I mean, maybe it's still out there, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We can accommodate you maybe. Um, but David is like, no, we're not going to uh, delight. In, you don't delight in sacrifices. But well, wait a second, God. If you read the Old Testament, uh, you would know God commanded sacrifices. So what's David doing here? Is he just saying, like, man, all that weird stuff back there of animal sacrifices, you don't like that stuff. Here's what you really like. You like you know, me to be have this broken and contrite spirit towards you. And what he's saying is, there's tons of instances in the, the Bible where the prophets are like telling you, hey, God's saying he hates your sacrifices. He hates your religious rituals. Why? Because you come before him with a prideful heart. You come to him arrogantly. You're doing it, it's, you know, it's like going through the motions. It's this empty thing. <coughs> and the sacrifices, just like all religious rituals, you know, everything we do here tonight is a religious ritual. Um, taking the Lord's Supper, other times we have baptism, dip, child dedication, singing songs, standing, sitting, um, s- saying this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. All this stuff we do is religious ritual, and it's possible to do it in a way that God hates. That He's just like, I despise that. I don't want that. You come doing it emptily. We come doing it just, this is what I'm supposed to do to make God happy, and so I just come do it. But religious rituals are always only pleasing to God when they're come when we're coming at him with humility, coming towards God with thankfulness, with a humble, contrite heart, broken, you know, God, I need forgiveness. I, I need your mercy. And when people came and gave the sacrifices and they're like treating it like it's God's job, like, okay, I've done all this wrong stuff. Do-do, bring my sacrifice. Sweet God, poof, go away and I can keep going on with my life. He's like, no, I hate that. That's empty religious ritual. And it's only meaningful if it's full of going to God and desiring him. And with the sacrifices... Uh, you would bring them, if you're not familiar with them, a worshiper would bring the sacrifice to the priest, and then what was happening was the, they would lay their hand on it, recognizing this animal is taking my place. It's taking what I deserve for my sin. It's taking the death I deserve for what I've done. And then it would be killed. And it was like, wow, this is costly. Um, this animal just lost its life for me. And ultimately, this all points forward to Jesus, who came and said, I'm giving my life as a ransom for many. I'm giving my life so other people can be forgiven. I'm coming to fulfill what all the sacrifices pointed forward to, that I am taking upon myself what you deserve. And Jesus is God in the flesh. <coughs> so God himself, when you're, when you're forgiven, when somebody forgives you, they're taking upon themselves the cost of what you've done to them. I'm not going to make you pay me back. I'm not going to have you make it up for me. I'm not going to you know, talk bad about you. I'm not going to seek revenge or gossip or whatever it is. Like, you're free from the penalty of the wrong you did to me. I'm just going to absorb that hurt, that pain. And that's what Jesus did. That's what God did. I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to take it upon myself, all the death, all the pain, all the guilt, all the shame that is yours. I'm going to take it upon me so you can be free of it. In the last part of this psalm, verses 18 and 19, were perhaps written by somebody later on, um, down the line, um, maybe, suggests this maybe wasn't written by David and that's okay. It's written by somebody else who's like, hey, we're singing this in our worship services and then somebody else added it along the way like, hey, these were David's really um, meaningful words that he wrote in his experience and we all identify with them. But here's this experience we're going through and now we're going to add this into it. And it suggested that it was possibly added um, after Jerusalem was destroyed because it says um, do good to Zion, verse 18 in your good pleasure. And Zion is another name for Jerusalem and Israel had committed sin after sin after sin, transgression after transgression 
after transgression, <coughs> iniquity after iniquity after iniquity. And finally, God said, you, you guys aren't even coming to me for forgiveness anymore. You're bringing these sacrifices, but they're, it doesn't mean anything. And so he finally said, I'm destroying the temple. I'm destroying your capital city. And so as they pray this, and they're saying, that, God, we're seeking your forgiveness. We know we're in exile. We know this has happened because of what we've done. But we're seeking your mercy, your forgiveness. We want you to blot us out. And so we're asking, would you do good design your good pleasure? Forgive us and do good to us. Build up the walls of Jerusalem again. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, right sacrifices, not empty ones, and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. When I look back over the last week, the last month, last year, last decade, uh, the last you know, 32 years of my life, there are countless things I've done wrong. Not just mistakes or misunderstandings, but when I, like David, knew exactly what God wanted me to do, and yet I didn't do it or I did the opposite. And Jesus sums up God's commandments with two, just two. That's all we got to keep to be perfect with God. Love God with your whole heart and love other people as you want to be loved. Love them as yourself. And if a document were to be compiled of every time I failed to love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, it would be pretty long. And then add to that another document compiled of every time I failed to love another person as I want to be loved, that would be another pretty long document. And even if a document were compiled only of how I failed to love my wife, Katie, instances would probably be countless. And so it's like, you know, the file is just growing and growing. And imagine there's a filing cabinet for your life. You know, every wrong you've done gets put in the filing cabinet, filed away, and then there's a sweet little file, and that got filled up. That was 2018. It'd be thicker than that. Okay, 2019. You know, each year there's just this little file of every single thing you've done across your entire life. Every time you didn't do what is good. Every time you sinned. Every time you did what was bad. Every time you acted selfishly. Every time you hurt someone with that selfishness. Every time you lied and cheated, it was documented and filed away in that cabinet. Every time you failed to love God is the highest priority, the most important person <coughs> in your life. Every time you failed to treat others as you wanted to be treated filed away. And for me, that file cabinet would be full. When I think about my relationship with God, it's like, is there this file cabinet just full of all the junk that he has on me? Like, sure, I'm coming to him and asking for forgiveness, but okay, we'll file that one away. And he could bring it up at any time and talk to me about it, reprimand me for it. Like, you remember back five years ago when you did such and such a thing? Um, yeah, I've got that in the file. And it's just like, you know, here's this big file of all my guilt and all my shame, and every day, every month, every year, it just adds up more, and if I you know, put it on my back, it would just crush me. And yet, and in all of it, there's this file cabinet full of reasons he shouldn't delight in me, full of reasons he shouldn't be kind to me, full of reasons he shouldn't be good to me, file cabinet full of reasons he shouldn't be patient or gentle or faithful to me. And yet, if you've been forgiven, what do we hear? Wash as humble sinners white as snow, outside and inside. So if you go into the file cabinet and see your record, it's somewhere back here, where it went. it's like, oh, we've got all these files. And God, white as snow, this is what white as snow means. It's like, oh, this is the record I have on you. You've been forgiven. It's white as snow. There's nothing on you. I don't have nothing on you. I've forgiven you. You're white as snow. And I just kept coming back to the image, like white as snow. And it's like, okay, God... Forgives me, but 
but there's got to be a record around it somewhere. No, white, it has snow. There's nothing on it. You are washed clean, cleansed, blotted out. All of them blotted out, white as snow. He doesn't put your sins away in a file cabinet with the possibility of it getting brought up later. <coughs> he goes in the file of your life, just this blank sheet of paper. If you trust in Jesus and ask for forgiveness through him. And God is in the process of making what comes out of your life white too, both inside and outside. We're washed of our actions that have made us um, dirty. And then on the inside, God is making our hearts be something that produces a life that's white as snow. And so what is, he says is true of us, you are white as snow, you're forgiven, is now becoming true of us and how we live and how our actions are. And something that has encouraged me lately and that I shared with our guys in our gospel fluency group is that I'm not becoming a version of myself that God loves more. I'm like, okay, tomorrow I'll sin less. That means God loves me more. Like I just keep growing and as I sin less, transgress less, commit less iniquities, like God loves me more. No, you are not come becoming a version of yourself that God loves more. And we've trusted in Jesus. When we humble ourselves before God, he loves us fully. He washed us white as snow. How could he love you more if there's nothing that he has against you? You're washed white as snow. So there's nothing against you. If you've trusted in Jesus, it's gone. Every reason he would have to not love you, he's taken upon himself and released from you. He washes us white as snow from our sin. He transforms us from the inside out. He loves us the same as we're going through that process. And David came before God feeling dirty. He knew he had done wrong. He had guilt. He had shame. He came to God for washing and cleansing, and we can do the same. And the problem is that we often say, well, you know what? I need to actually make myself white as snow. I'm going to avoid God. You know, I'm dirty. I've heard a lot of people say, like, if I set foot in a church building, I would be struck dead. You know, so it's like, I've got to you know, figure it out. I've got to clean myself up, and then I'll be able to come to a church service, and then I'll be able to approach God, and then I'll be able to come to this God and you know, worship him and talk to him. But he, if we do that, if we try to make ourselves white as snow, if we try to wash ourselves clean, we are forever keeping <coughs> ourselves from the only person, the only one who can actually make us white as snow. You'll be doing it the rest of your life. It's like you'll be scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. And it's like my life just never gets clean. My life is just always dirty. And it's like there's even spots I can't see. Like, what the? You know, you discover later somebody comes along and they're like, hey, did you know I have this thing in your life? And you're like, what? No, I didn't know that spot was there. And it's like we just, we'll be working on it our whole lives. Some of us have tried and realized it's impossible. And so we just say, you know, I can't do it. And I give up. And I just can't, I can't deal with God. Like, I'm, I can't be good enough for you, so I'm never going to come to you. And we do both of these. We say, like, I need to do it or, you know, I just can't do it. And we give up. Even though God has said, come to me, I'll make you white as snow. But some of us believe, you know, God won't do it. It's just too good to be true. Like, I, you know, looking at this psalm, like, reading the things, and it's like, white as snow. It's like, this is too good to be true. How could my record be white as snow? That's impossible. I've done way too many things, and yet, it's because Jesus has paid for it. Jesus came and paid for it, so your record could be white as snow. If you surrender your life to him, if you trust in him. When we feel guilt and shame and all those feelings we looked at earlier, all these things, all the, sometimes we're like, you know, i got to get rid of those feelings. i got to stop feeling worthless, stop feeling shame, stop feeling dirty, stop feeling this heaviness, this guilt. i got to stop being scared. And, you know, once my life is cleaned up or whatever it is, then I can come to God. But if we never come to him, we're supposed to bring all of this to him. He's the one that washes it away. 
He's the one that makes it white as snow. You take your guilt, take your shame, your dirtiness, your, your feelings of worthlessness, and I give you value, and I forgive you and cleanse you. And so what we see as we've covered this psalm, there's four things we see uh, in answer to the question, how do we come to God as humble sinners to be washed white as snow? That's what this big idea is, but well, what's the how? And so we'll just, I'll give you four actions to take. First, it's appeal to God's mercy. That's what David does. He appeals to God's mercy, his most steadfast love and abundant mercy. So appeal to God's mercy. They all start with A. It's like, ah. <laughs> appeal to God's mercy. Come to him knowing I don't deserve this. It's only based on you that I will receive this forgiveness. Second, acknowledge your sin against God. <coughs> acknowledge that your sin is against God. God, this is what I deserve for this. We come with our guilt, saying, like, God, I'm guilty of what I've seen in my life. And we come with grief. That's the other thing the Bible talks about, is that, like, God, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not like this coldness. Like, God, I've messed up. I've hurt people. I've sinned against you. Acknowledge your sin against God. Thirdly, ask for washing outside and inside. And these are I'm not going into these because they're just a summary of what David says we've seen in this psalm. Ask for washing outside and inside. He says, God, cleanse me from my sin and create a new heart in me. Like, God, I just messed up loving this person. I messed up. I hurt them. Uh, please cleanse me of that and make me into a loving person. Create a heart in me that loves people, that's kind to people, that uh, is patient with people. And lastly, accept God's mercy and rejoice. Exclamation point. Because when you've asked for it, you've come to him humble and saying, like, God, I don't deserve this. I'm contrite, I'm broken, I'm grieved, I'm guilty. Please wash me. I'm coming to you asking for this. We can accept his mercy and not be like, okay, I'll come back again. And I just got to keep asking. And, like, you know, I have to, like, force him to do it. No, God's generous. Why would Jesus have gone through all of that, left heaven, came to earth, died, resurrected, and now it's like, you know, you got to work really hard to get forgiveness. Like, no, God did all the work for forgiveness. He's the one who paid for it. And so as we think about ourselves as a community and a group of people, all of us gathered around Nick and Emma, um, we, David says, help me teach transgressors your way. I want to lead other people into praise. And we do that as prophets and as forgivers. Um, we act like Nathan. And Nathan had the Spirit of God guiding him. And then in the book of Acts, we hear, like, well, now the Spirit has been given to everybody. So now we're all prophets, people who are supposed to be like, hey, I see this thing in your life. Um, you messed up and you don't even seem to be caring about it. Like, you need to go to God with that. And so we're inviting other people to experience forgiveness. And sometimes we may not respond well to that, um, but that's what we're called to do so other people can experience forgiveness. And the second way we help others be forgiven is we live as forgivers. Forgiven people forgive people. Others experience God's mercy through us because when we are forgiving of others, releasing them. It's like, you know, you holding a file cabinet of stuff on other people in your life, like, yeah, I think you've got all this stuff that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to treat you like you did all that stuff to me, because you did. And I remember it, I'm not forgetting it, and maybe you even were nice to me, and you asked for forgiveness, said you're sorry, and I said, yeah, okay, that's nice, you're sorry, but I'm still holding it there, and I'm still treating you like that. But we help other people um, experience God's forgiveness, as we don't hold a file cabinet. Um, and that's not to say, like, you just blanket throw out forgiveness to nobody who's asked for it. Like, when people ask you for forgiveness, um, forgive them. Release them. 
blot it out. Blot out that sin against you. And so as we close in prayer, we can pray as a group that are huddled around Nick and Emma and Axel and Rebecca um, and one another um, as a church family and friends, that we would be people who show this forgiveness and experience it. Father, we thank you for the news that sounds too good to be true. How could we be white as snow? None of us has a perfect record. None of us has a spotless record. And you say if we come to you, we'll be white as snow. So Father, would you help Nick and Emma as they raise Rebecca and Axel to show them that forgiveness, that grace, that abundant mercy and steadfast love. Would you let Rebecca and Axel see it in their marriage? That when they see Nick and Emma, they'd see, wow, mom and dad, like, forgive each other. They hurt each other, but then they still love each other just the same. Would you let us as a community uh, gather around them and help them in that journey with their kids? Would you let us as a community become people who forgive one another as you've forgiven us, um, not holding a file cabinet? And would you let this good news that when we trust in Jesus, we are white as snow to sink deep into our hearts. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.